Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Chernobyl, Fukushima, Three Mile Island. These high-profile disasters have largely shaped America's view on nuclear energy. HBO's Chernobyl still has people buzzing. But there are nearly 60 nuclear power plants in our country and 97 functioning reactors operating every day without major incidents. And there's a lot more to know. And it seems like I'm constantly seeing conflicting reports on whether or not nuclear is good for us as a country. I wanted to find out what the deal is. How does nuclear energy stack up against other energy sources, not just in cost, but also climate concerns? This week, I spoke to Dr. Todd Allen in the Warming Signs Atlanta office. He is the chair of the Nuclear Engineering Department at the University of Michigan, the top school for the subject in the country, to demystify this controversial concept. Todd, thank you so much for joining us in our Atlanta studio. You happen to be in town. I happen to be in town. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me up. I just kind of want to start at the beginning. What is nuclear energy? Yeah, so um, I'll try and compare it to like coal, which people get, right? So what we do with both coal and nuclear energy, in the end, is we boil water, right? To make Mm. steam, to turn a turbine, which turns the generator that makes electricity, right? But the way that they heat up the water is different. So coal, which most people sort of get, it burns, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Nuclear, you actually can take a uranium atom, and if you put one neutron inside of it, um, it will split in two and it'll give you a lot of energy. Hmm. Um, and you use that energy to heat up water. And so in one case, you're burning something. In one place, you're splitting atoms. Uh, in the end, we make electricity with hot water. Now, it's not all you could do with nuclear technology, but that's what we've done commercially in the past. And um, you know what differentiates nuclear from coal, really, is you get way more energy out of nuclear than you do from coal. Right, so if you have seen a coal plant, a train, sorry, driving down the train tracks, just car after car loaded with Mm -hmm. coal, that's a small amount of the energy that we use to make coal. Um, If you took all of the nuclear fuel we've used in 40 years um, in the U.S. and stacked it all together, which we wouldn't do, but if you did, (laughs) it would fit for the entire United States, and it would fit inside a football stadium. Right, and the difference is the energy that you get out of nuclear is millions of times more than coal. And so when people say they like nuclear, it's because you get a ton of energy and you need less stuff. So you need to dig less stuff out of the ground and you make less waste out of it in the end, right? Um, And I think the other big difference, and it goes back to your climate comment, is that the byproduct of a coal plant or a natural gas plant is carbon dioxide. So you, you sort of create energy by combining the carbon atoms in coal with oxygen, gives off energy, but then it gives you CO2. Um, Nuclear, the byproduct, is what we call spent fuel, and it's very radioactive. So if you look at the Mm. back-end trade-offs, for nuclear, you have something that is very hazardous, but it is a small amount, relatively speaking, and it's controllable. It's a solid. I I know where it is. I can keep track of it. Um, And the things that people worry about on the, the coal or natural gas side is we really just shoot it up in the air. Right. Until we figure out how to capture that or return it out of the atmosphere, then you get to issues of climate change. And so people get excited. The people that do get excited about nuclear get excited because you're not giving off any carbon while simultaneously creating lots of electricity. 
the people that don't get excited about nuclear worry about the fact that the radioactive waste is hazardous, right? And if you've mm. ever lost control of it, um, it could could be harmful to humans. And so that's that's the big trade-off in the nuclear versus coal or, or how do I make energy discussion. Yeah, yeah there, I, I, I hear a lot of negative with regard to um, energy production. However, whenever I hear millions of time, of times, what it, what was it exactly? Million times more yeah. effective, more energy, more energy coming per reaction. Per right? re- okay, so that's yeah. that's massive. Whenever it comes to being able to power the country, yep. what is the cost of that? We talked about this hazardous material. Where does that go? Is that the fear that people have whenever they hear nuclear energy, or is what's coming to mind Chernobyl, Fukushima, these risks of nuclear meltdown? What is our actual risk, I guess, yep. whenever it comes to having a nuclear plant in our backyard? Right. So I think um, there's there's a bunch of questions in your question. So I, th- I think the thing ultimately that people worry about is exposure to radiation. Um, I think for a lot of people, they don't necessarily understand exactly what that means, but we've sort of trained ourselves well, to know that it's dangerous. Well, we see doctors yeah. and dentists standing behind the wall and putting on the protective yeah. you know, clothing right. and all these things anytime that you're getting right. an x-ray. So, Right, right. Which is, it's funny. So from a nuclear engineer's perspective, you get why you do that, but you also wonder why people get so excited because you're the one having radiation shot into your head, right? And you're, <laughs> you're okay with that because there's a, there's a benefit in the end, right? You right. figure out... Um, but I think a lot of this, uh, the concern goes back to the way that nuclear energy sort of introduced itself to the public. And the first thing people learned back in the 40s and 50s were not, was not nuclear power, it was weapons. Right. Right? It was this very destructive technology. Um, and a lot of these early tests were done in a way that was not very respectful of the public. Like, we're just blowing nuclear weapons up in the air. Um, and... Um, and I don't think that the weapons complex, the people that started making nuclear weapons, were that careful mm. um, with their their production and how they controlled the radioactivity in the plants. So they were much more worried in those days about just making weapons and deal with the consequences later. And you see pl- places like the Hanford site up in, in eastern Washington state that's got this huge cleanup that's left over from World War II era kind of things. And And so I think there's this... There's, that's your introduction. And then, like back when I was a kid, and we used to have these drills where we had to get under the desk, right? These duck and cover drills, right? Yeah. So, you know, this sort of message, right, is that you should be worried, you should be nervous. And it was very secretive. It got tied up in weapons production and classified government programs and the government not wanting to tell people. So the entire um, introduction, I think, was very sort of disrespect, disrespectful to general people. When we hear uranium, though, I have like a Bond villain, you know, image in my head trying to get the uranium. And yeah. I feel like Hollywood has really portrayed that as such. Is uranium dangerous? So actually the uranium in the ground is very, very mildly radioactive. Um, to the point when before you put it in the reactor and you're actually just making the fuel in the form to put it in the reactor, you do not need any special radiation shielding. Mm. You wear gloves so it doesn't get on your hands, but uranium from the ground, not that dangerous. Um, Once the uranium splits into two atoms, um, and that's called fissioning, right? Mm -hmm. That's how we get the energy out. the, the atoms that it splits into, it's like every everything in the periodic ta- table of elements, and some of them are radioactive, um, and they have very short, 
I'm going to use the term half-lives. Yeah. Half-life means how long it takes for half of it to be gone. Some of it has very long. Um, most people misunderstand that word. So in, in public discourse, you'll say, oh, something will be around for millions of years. And you think that means it's very dangerous, right? Because it never goes away. But if something's around for a million years, it means it very rarely decays into something else, which means it's mm. not actually giving off much radiation. Right? And so the things we as nuclear technology technologists worry about are things with really short half-lives. That means it's given off a ton of radiation, but yeah. it goes away really quickly. And it's kind of the medium ones um, are the ones we worry about. Anyway, a lot of, <laughs> lot of detail there. Yeah. Um, but but uh, I mean, I think the point, um, actually, I don't even remember why I started talking about that question. Well, we were <laughs> talking about uranium and oh, just, man. you know, if it's, if it seems like this nefarious, yeah. you know, substance. Yep. So uh, uranium itself, nope. Um, but once we fission it, it is hazardous. Um, but it's, it's, as I said at the beginning, it's in a solid form, right? So we know where it is and we can control it. It's not um, randomly floating around, giving floating off around. massive amounts nope. of radiation that we can't see or detect or know about. Correct. All right. We, we know where it is. Um, and the other reason why people might worry about uranium is um, if you take the uranium um, and um, concentrate it, so not, there are multiple types of uranium atoms. Mm -hmm. They're not all the same. Some of them you can fission, some of them you can't. Um, but if you concentrate it um, so that the types that are fissionable to a very, very high concentration, then you can make a weapon out of it. So that's okay. our concern with like Iran, right? So when people do get concerned about uranium, it's, um, and many times it's tied to the ability to do weapons production. And that's the majority yeah. of the time that we hear about it. Yep. Now, what about the mining for uranium? Is that a problem? Is that, you know, something that is, you know, gets people's feathers ruffled and have a problem it, with? It gets people's feathers ruffled because, I, I think for a couple of reasons, because um, uh, in the earlier days, I don't think people were as uh, careful about things like um, where they put the um, tailings, the rocks they didn't want, and they put them close to, say, a river, right? Mm. They can now pick up and transport radiation away from the site. Um, and I also think that um, a lot of the, the early mining was done on Native American community land, and there's, there's issues of were they treated fairly, did you right. And so I think there are issues there around how uranium mining was done in the past. Um, and a lot of it has to do with sort of respecting the community that you're in um, more than, than hazard. It seems as though this is not necessarily a renewable energy then because is there a fi I, there's got to be a finite amount of uranium on Earth. Yep, so two answers to the question. So it, um, and it leads to interesting historical things. So in the early days, we thought uranium was very, very scarce. Right? Hmm. Um, there is a way to recycle nuclear fuel. We, oh. don't, we don't do it commercially. Uh, right now, if I look at a fuel rod... Uh, when I take it out of the reactor, I say I'm done with it. Um, about 95% of the energy content is still in there. Right? Oh. We've taken it out for other reasons. Um, if we recycled it, we could go back and get some of the energy content. And in the early days of nuclear, we thought we would have to. Uh, it turns out, like a lot of things, um, as people realized they could make money by mining uranium, they went out and found a lot more. All right. gotcha. So there's, there's probably hundreds of years of uranium. But if you recycled it and used it all, there's many thousands of years. So it's not renewable in the absolute sense, uh, but it's many, many years. Um, and so it, it's not like it's going to disappear 
right away if you if you recycled it and used it all. What is the nuclear energy landscape in the U.S.? Do we have a lot of plants? What you know are a lot of us getting our power from nuclear energy? Yep. So there are just short of a hundred plants now, um, which is about twenty percent of the U.S.'s electricity. So Not one, bad. one out of every five for a hundred plants. Yeah. Um, as I said before, you get a lot of energy out of each one. Um, at, if you wanted to tally up the carbon-free energy, it's about 60%. So it's oh, more wow. than half of the clean electricity that you get, clean meaning carbon-free, comes from nuclear. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. Yeah, we kind of think it's the wind turbines and the solar. Right, and the wind and the solar have been growing very rapidly in the last few years. Um, the, the, those technologies, the prices have really come down. They're making a bigger impact, but they're still uh, much smaller at the moment than nuclear or even hydro. Um, now, the, the other part of your question is, a lot of those plants are on the East Coast, far more on the East Coast, or the Eastern part of the U.S. than on the Western part Why of the Why is that? Uh, I think part of it's population. Right. And where a lot of the early plants were built. Um, I don't think you just had as much need on the, in, the, in the West. Now, we have fewer, th- around 100, but right. are some of these plants at risk of closing? You know, what is their status? Yeah, yeah so in the past, I'd say, decade, um, we've seen some of this uh, first generation. We've actually only had one commercial generation of nuclear plants. They started being built in the 60s, hmm. uh, most of them built in the 60s through 80s. Uh, we've got one under construction in Georgia right now. Uh, oh, I'm going to ask you about that yeah, one in a minute, okay. yeah. Um, um, and so a lot of them are getting to the end of their first license period. Hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to shut them down. Uh, you can extend the, the license if you can go to the regulator and make a convincing case that the material condition of your reactor is okay, safe to keep operating. So th- basically you're saying there's kind of an expiration date on some of these? On n- the license, okay. right? And, the and license is that based on you know, what's safe for it, the it reactors? Wasn't. Now, in the early years, it was sort of an arbitrary um, choice to say, you know, we will think these will go about 40 years. Mm-hmm. But um, if you can go in and make the case, and in some cases it may be you have to go in and replace a component because it's old. But as long as you can make the case to the regulator that you can continue to operate it safely, you can continue. So some plants have already got extensions to 60 years. Some of them are thinking about going to 80 years. Mm. Um, but at the same time, as the there's a couple things that have happened. Natural gas, uh, as we learned how to frack, has gotten super cheap. Right. Um, so it's very cheap to build and operate a natural gas plant. Um, and then we've been adding renewables onto the grid. Uh, partly the costs have been coming down, partly because the governments have either subsidized or said by policy we're going to put them on the grid. Um, as those have come up in some areas, especially uh, those where the markets are more competitive rather than traditional sort of public utility um, guaranteed rate of investment um, operations, those nuclear plants have been uh, challenged economically, especially Mm. if they're a single unit. So there's some places where a utility built one, and there's some places where they built four. There are staffing advantages. You can share staff across plants if you have four. So the ones that are single plants and um, competitive markets are struggling. And so those are the ones you're starting to see shut down. Is it because it costs a lot of money to create nuclear energy? Is it a more expensive energy source? Yeah, so um, with the type the type of uh, plants that we built so far, commercial plants, and these are very large, a gigawatt scale. Um, so hundreds of thousands of houses could be powered per reactor. Um, they're uh, long-time high-cost construction projects that are typically um, fairly cheap to operate. Now, post 
Fukushima, there's been a lot of additional security costs as they've added guards mm -hmm. and things as they've imagined different security scenarios. Um, and so uh, part of it is natural gas is so cheap, it's hard for anything to be competitive with natural gas right now. Uh, but the costs are, um, in, in some cases, on the edge of competitive. In some cases, they're starting to become non-competitive. And, and part of it is staffing. You end up with a lot more people at a nuclear plant than you need to run a coal plant. And is the built here in Georgia, um, you know, people have been getting a, a line item on their electricity bill now for years that goes toward the building of a new nuclear plant. And it has been kind of an embattled plant. There's constant stories about it being behind schedule. We don't even know if this is going to be finished. We don't know what's going to happen with this plant. Yeah. Is it because it's expensive to build a new plant as well as the staffing? Yeah, so it is expensive to build a new plant. And I should say that the U.S. industry, because they haven't built one in a long time, honestly has become a little incompetent at building them, uh. right? The same plants are being, the same exact design plant are being built in China, sort of on time, on schedule. Um, huh. And so it's not the design itself. Um, but um, yeah, this one has certainly fallen behind in construction. Uh, they've changed the... Um, the uh, organizations that were in charge of building it. Mm. Um, Westinghouse, the designer, went bankrupt midstream and all oh, this. Yeah. So there, there have been a lot of issues. But I think if you wanted to sum it up, um, we're just not, we haven't built many plants in a while, and we're not good at it. Um, some people think that, some people argue that um, the, the cost of building a nuclear plant is just too expensive and it'll never come down. But if you look internationally, um, the Koreans, for instance, have gotten very good at this. Um, they want a contract to build plants in the United Arab Emirates. Huh. Um, surprised a lot of people because no one thought that they would win the contract, but they did, and they hmm. built them on time, on schedule. So um, it's not impossible to build one on time, but um, the recent history in the U.S. is not good. And, of course, the issue there is you're, you're not making any money till you start selling electricity. So if it's taking you 10 years, you're paying interest on loans, or you're getting your local government to charge the consumers a right. fee in advance, right, to help you get through that construction schedule. And so, and if you have the opportunity to talk about some of the advanced concepts of nuclear that people are talking about, some of the thoughts really get to how do I fix this construction time balance, right? So that's one of the big things people are weighing, I guess. Now, there are countries that are not just uh, Korea and China, but there are a lot of countries it, that are running almost entirely on nuclear. Is France one of those? Yeah, they're not entirely, but they're around 70%. That's a lot. It is, yeah. So France made the decision back in the 70s, and if you remember historically, that was the, the Arab oil, oil embargoes. Um, oil was incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. um, Fran and France is not a country with a lot of native indigenous resources, and they, they made the decision for energy independence reasons that they were going to build a lot of nuclear, and they got it up to 70%. And they, of course, were building a lot of the same plants. And if you look at that history, they got better over time. Um, France, inter interestingly, is building a new generation of plant that they never built before after a many-year gap. And they've been behind schedule, too. Oh, interesting. So like a lot of manufacturing things, you get better as you do it a lot. And you get bad at it if you stop doing it. And I think that's happened to the nuclear industry. Um, so France is an example. There's other countries that use it a lot or... or um, or use it in a lot uh, with in combination with like hydro. So Sweden is a good example of a country that is very low carbon, um, and they've gotten there through a combination of hydro, which they have, and then uh -huh. and then nuclear. So you can you can find all sorts of variants of percentage um, 
nuclear across the world. Now, the U.S. has the most number of plants, but it's not the highest percentage. I didn't realize that. Yeah, 100 is the most. Um, well, we're pretty large land area. Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, France is around 50. Uh, China is around 30, but they're building a lot. I mean, they're mm -hmm. building a lot of everything. We're about to break down which nuclear power plants in the U.S. are most vulnerable, but let's pause here for a moment because there could be some big changes in the industry soon. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission oversees the industry in our country in order to protect people and the environment. They are making the case for less nuclear regulation. The NRC's recent recommendations include changes to how safety issues are reported to the public and local officials, fewer inspections, and less testing of plants' defenses against things like terrorism. If approved, the changes would lower operating costs for nuclear power plants. The industry says it's about time we took a second look at regulations. After all, it's been 40 years since the disaster at Three Mile Island, but opponents say we'd be trading safety for savings and that the stakes are just too high. Now let's get back to my chat with Dr. Allen and the concern about nuclear power plants on the coast. Now, what about places like Turkey Point? I mean, this is off of Miami. This is an area that has water around it. You can't help but kind of think about an area that gets a lot of hurricanes and has mm. the potential for very high storm surge. Right. Are places like that a risk to have meltdowns like what we saw at Fukushima? Yeah, so um, it, it interesting for just if, for folks to understand what happened at Fukushima, right? So, um, Physically, it was a an earthquake followed by a tsunami, right? Right. Um, when the earth, the, the plants have sensors and they can sense the ground motion. Uh, when that happened, the plant correctly shut itself down. The issue with the nuclear plant is because the the fuel is radioactive. Even if you've shut down all those fission reactions, it's still giving off a lot of heat. Mm. So you have to be able to keep moving cooling water through the reactor. The way you normally do that, you just have have a set of pumps and they're powered by electricity. Right. The uh, earthquake knocked out the normal electricity grid. Nuclear plant has a backup system. It's a set of diesels right, that are supposed to start up, and that is your local power, and you run. The plant at Fukushima, uh, in what was just bad engineering, put their diesel generators in the basement. It's the simplest way to put oh, it. Oh, wow. So they were fine until the tsunami right, hit. Right, and then it flooded. When the tsunami hit, it flooded, and suddenly they had no way to run water through the reactor. Now it's starting to heat up. Yeah. Um, and once it starts to heat up, you, you have um, the fuel gets hot. Um, the fuel is encased in a zirconium alloy that, that corrodes in high-temperature water, and when it corrodes, it gives off hydrogen. And so when you saw those pictures of explosions at the top of the plant on TV, it was actually hydrogen explosions. It was like the Hindenburg. Um, oh, so it wasn't wow. actually a nuclear thing. I mean, it led to from you overheating a part of the plant. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, if you can't cool the fuel, bad things happen. Right? There's another plant, exact same design in Japan, that was built higher up on a hill. Uh, it was actually closer to the, center of the, uh, the epicenter of the earthquake uh, that shut down. It's fine. Right. They're actually I visited that plant a couple of years ago and they're actually mad that no one ever tells their story. <laughs> we did it well. Yeah. Everything worked as it should. Yeah. So is but that pointing to the risk of being on? I mean, you need water. Yep. Obviously, you need a source of water to be able to cool the reactors. Yep. But is that the risk that you face 
whenever you're near an ocean. Yep, so you have to think about that, right? So uh, if you look at the Turkey Point plant, they're, what they have to do is they have to make a convincing case that they can continue to get electricity to their pumps to cool the plants, however they do that. It could be that they will end up having to build bigger levees or something, some sort of seawall break um, if you have rising oceans, right? And mm -hmm. that's issues they will have to deal with. And if they can't deal with it, um, ultimately the regulator will shut them down, right? And so so it is it is an issue, especially if you're in low-lying areas. Now that's, a, that's an interesting plant too because of the way they built these canals through the the Everglades and whether they're messing up the oh boy things. there was a story yesterday about water in Florida is just yeah. anyway. <laughs> nothing like, flows naturally in Florida anymore yeah. it's all engineered so what is the future of nuclear energy in the U.S. are we seeing its slow demise or is this something that can be or should be resuscitated yeah so we're at this really fascinating inflection point so the first generation of plants were these very large um, electricity producing machines. That's all they did. It took a long time to build. The hope was then that you would make money over 40, 60, 80 years of running the plant. Uh, when all of the utilities were in regulated markets, this, this model made a lot of sense. All right. um, those plants are either coming to the end of their lives or for, even for the ones that get extended, you know, you're looking 20, 40 years, but there's an end, there's an end point. Um, backdrop to that is climate change. Right? Lots of people yeah. worried about how do I make zero carbon electricity or zero carbon energy in general. Um, and um, you know, I'm from the school of thought that I do not believe there's a single energy technology that is the golden nugget that's good enough to do everything and then we end up probably needing a combination of the best of everything. Um, and if you look at the world that way, you, you say there's a driving force to keep some component of nuclear. And if you go there, then the question is, are we going to continue to build these giant plants that take a long time or maybe do something else? So a fascinating thing to me happened, which is for years, all energy in the U.S. around new nuclear was done in big Department of Energy National Laboratories. Great at research, but not business people, not really commercializing mm -hmm. things. About five-ish years ago, suddenly around the country, I'll call it entrepreneurial nuclear companies started springing up. Right, the most famous of which is TerraPower. Bill Gates uh, started his own nuclear company. I mean, he looked at why not the, the clean air. <laughs> he looked at the clean energy needs in the world and said he doesn't see how you're going to do this without nuclear, and went off, spent a lot of his own money to design a plant. Um, but he's one of he's one of many, and they are looking at varying sizes. They are looking at things from, that are still big electricity production, but maybe instead of electricity, you want to build a plant that gives you high temperature heat for industrial processes. You've got some people who are looking at very small, you know, one thousandth the size of a current commercial reactor that might be good for remote um, Alaskan communities that right hmm. now just burn diesel when they get snowed in in the winter. Yeah. Um, and then maybe that type of reactor then is small enough that people are comfortable with it and it becomes part of a community microgrid or maybe a DO, Department of Defense base says we want secure power independent for the grid. So they're all off doing these things. If it's true entrepreneurship, most of them will fail because that's what's supposed to happen, right? And the best ideas are supposed to rise to the top. But we'll see. And that's why I say we're at an inflection point. Um, it's possible we build a few more big ones like the Vogel plant, but it's not obvious to me we need a lot of those in the near term. Most of the things we're putting on the grid are, they're smaller, they're solar plant, wind farm, natural gas plant. Um, and so it's very interesting to see if some of these 
entrepreneurial nuclear companies make it through in a business case and find that first community that wants to be the host and maybe that changes things. So yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly good at predicting the future, right? Um, but there's the possibility that nuclear looks very, very different in the second generation of commercial than it does in the first. Um, and the fact that there are people spending their own money, <laughs> thinking that there's a return on investment in this technology is, is somewhat, um, uh, somewhat impressive if you think there's a future for nuclear. And it's not just the government doing things. Do you think that we can achieve clean energy 100% in the United States without nuclear energy? I would be very surprised uh, unless the alternative pathway is we figure out how to capture carbon in a very cost-effective way. I mean, if you could do that, right, if you could just capture all the carbon from coal and natural gas plants and somehow sequester it somehow so it's not going up into the air, um, that would be huge because you could still use fossil fuels. Now, how you do that, I don't know. And that's why I, I'm, uh, if you had to ask me to bet on something, I would say there's a future that has a component of nuclear in it um, because I, I project out any single energy technology and I can tell you why people love it, but I can also imagine why people will start to hate to, to why there will be a limit on its use. Um, and I, I have this, this figure I use in public presentations about nuclear where you look at the 1960s and 70s, the rate of growth of building in the U.S., how we got to 100 plants, it was spectacular, right? And it's sort of a slope like what we're doing with wind and solar now. And so if you just looked at the beginning of that, you'd like, whoa, look at the future of that technology. But it plateaued out at around 20%. Because, because why? Because this is some combination of economics, energy use, public policy and social acceptance said, well, we're comfortable with about 20% and that's what we're stopping, right? Hmm. Um, and I think that um, I look at any energy technology and the combination of those four things, you end up with something that makes sense society. But um, I can't imagine any of them being 100%. Thank you so much for explaining this all to me. I'm sorry that I was, you know, basic level, but hopefully yeah. you really brought me up to speed and uh, this has been incredibly enlightening. Yeah, glad to come back anytime. We can do a nuclear advanced degree program discussion next time we come back. We'll, Can't wait. We'll work it up, all right? Yeah, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Love it, hate it, or still confused about nuclear energy? Tweet at me and we can continue the conversation at WeatherKate. That's at Weather K-A-I-T. And don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. Until next time.